Hello there, Pigskins fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Stat Pack for the upcoming week, week 10 already in the NFL season. I'm your host, Adam Dubrovalski, and well, it's good to be back. Unfortunately, no edition last week due to the hurricane, but fortunately, power back here in Pennsylvania. Not so much back home in New Jersey, but we got things going anyway, and we have plenty to talk about. Obviously, a six-pack of stories. Hey, how about those playoff predictions now that we're halfway through? Also, a six-pack of the top teams in, albeit a week, week in what could be a very boring Week 10. We'll take a look at six matchups that are exciting for the upcoming week. They might not necessarily be exciting games, but we'll micromanage and we'll get some exciting matchups in these games regardless. We'll start things off, though, as usual, with the six-pack of stories, headlines, statements. However we want to handle it, it's always a six-pack of fun from the week that was. And we'll start things off here from week nine with a look at the Chicago Bears. And after a dominating 51-20 victory over the Tennessee Titans, that sees the Bears get two more return touchdowns. One from a punt that was blocked. One from an interception by Brian Urlacher. Then you see three scoring drives of 20 yards or less. And, well, obviously that shows once again about the Chicago Bears and their fantastic playmaking defense, reminding myself a lot of the 2002 Buccaneers. But I have this to say. The second half will be the telling part about the Chicago Bears and their Super Bowl hopes. Think about what the Chicago Bears have done. With seven interceptions returned for a touchdown and one block for a touchdown, the Bears have eight returned touchdowns. That is tied for the most in NFL history through eight games. The 1942 Chicago Bears did it. They went 11-0 and then lost in the NFL championship game. And then there was the 2010 Cardinals who went, well, quite a lucky I'll say it, quite a lucky 5-11. They were honestly a 2-14 team when you really take away those returns. But they're able to make those big plays and get five wins on the season. The Chicago Bears at this point have more return touchdowns than rushing touchdowns this season. So obviously it's been a lot about the defense, a lot about the special teams. But on those interceptions returned for a touchdown, the Bears just need one more to reach select company. There's only been one team in NFL history since 1940 that has at least eight interceptions returned for a touchdown, and that was the 1998 Seattle Seahawks. In fact, if you want to break it down a little bit more, the Chicago Bears already, with a plus 16 turnover margin, at the halfway point have reached select company. Since 1978, when the league first expanded to a 16-game season, there have been only six other teams with a 16-turnover margin or better through eight games. The 2005 Bengals, the 2003 Chiefs, the 1987 Buccaneers, the 1984 Broncos, the 1983 Vikings, and the 1978 Saints. What do those six teams have in common? Well, none of them won a playoff game. The Chicago Bears right now, 
might be heading towards that territory. And the question is, well, how is this happening? All these teams starting off so well with turnovers and not getting the job done in the playoffs. Well, it's quite, it's quite this simple, to be honest. Regression. All of these teams faced some sort of regression. The Bengals went from plus 20 to plus 24. So obviously in the second half of the season, a lot less to do with the turnovers, and they ended up losing in the wild card round to the Steelers. The 2003 Chiefs, plus 18 in the first eight, plus one in the last eight. They lost their first playoff game in the divisional round to the Indianapolis Colts in a game where neither team punted. The 87 Buccaneers, 4-4 four and four start with a plus 16 turnover margin. They lost their final seven games and had a negative 11 turnover margin. The 84 Broncos, plus 18 through 8, plus 3 in the final 8. They went 13-3, and three, but lost in the divisional round. As for the 83 Vikings and 78 Saints, they both missed the playoffs, just like the 87 Buccaneers. The Vikings, negative 1 in their final 8. They went 8-8 eight and eight overall. The Saints, negative 6 in their final 8. They went 7-9 and nine overall. Well... I tell you this much about the second half, it won't get any easier for the Bears, a team that has pretty much thrived on weak opponents and inefficient opponents at that point. The Bears at this point, at least through the midseason marks, will face only one team in their second half of the season with a losing record, and that's the four and five Arizona Cardinals in week sixteen. Needless to say, the Chicago Bears at 7-1, they're being a little bit propped up by something that won't be there in the second half of the season. You can't expect the Bears to have that many big plays defensively in the second half, and you can't expect them to control the turnover battle that much in the second half of the season. So for the Bears, let's see what these eight games are all about to close out the season. If they can do a good job and show the balance between the offense, the defense, and the special teams, they will still be a favorite to reach the Super Bowl in the NFC. But as turnover regression happens, if they struggle, well, maybe they're another team that goes one and done in the playoffs. Second on our six-pack of storylines and reactions involves the Atlanta Falcons and what may be the last straw for legitimate Super Bowl hope. And I know you're saying, well, they just beat the Dallas Cowboys. They just won 19-13 on Sunday Night Football to improve to 8-0. But think about this. This 19-13 victory against the Cowboys marks the fourth time this season the Falcons defeated an opponent with a losing record by only one possession. In Super Bowl history, there are only four winners with at least four victories against losing teams by only one possession. That list, the 1970 Colts, the 1981 49ers, the 1986 Giants, and the 1987 Redskins. Now I want to break down the history a little bit to explain my point here. The Colts in 1970 won six such games. Three of them were against divisional opponents. As for the 81 49ers, all five such games were against divisional opponents. In 1986, three of the four victories of this criteria 
for the Giants came against divisional opponents. In 1987, in a 15-game season, the Redskins had six such victories with four against the NFC East, and three of those four coming against teams that had a 7-8 record. So if there was to be a full 16-game season in 1987, hypothetically, there could have only been three such victories, and obviously then the Redskins wouldn't apply to this list. The way I look at it, what this is trying to say is that the Falcons are struggling to dominate inferior teams Well, when they play the really good playoff teams that are balanced, like the Bears, like the Giants, like the 49ers. They're not going to be able to get the job done because these teams are at a whole nother level than these inferior teams like the 2-6 and six Panthers like the 3-6 and six Redskins, like the 3-5 and five Raiders, all of which the Falcons won by only one possession. Now, the 3-5 and five Dallas Cowboys, as we'll explain in a little bit, they might actually be the best bet of these four teams to get back to 500. After all, the Cowboys are positive in the relativity index. In fact, they're 10th with a 2.36 mark in the relativity index. However, the Falcons, they have quite a few more traps. They face the Saints twice. They face the Buccaneers twice. They face the Cardinals once. They face the Panthers once more. And they travel to, Det- to Detroit. All of those teams may finish with a losing record, but all of those teams should be able to put up competitive games against the Falcons. So the best bet here for the Falcons, they should probably hope first off that the Cowboys finish 8-8 eight and eight or better. And they'll strike that from the record and strike them off this dubious list that they want to make to the Super Bowl and win it. But if they do somehow get another one-possession victory against a losing team, the best bet is to hope it happens against divisional opponents. Now, the theory here being is that divisional opponents are more familiar against their own teams in their division. They play them twice per year, and they know exactly how the other team wants to operate. Therefore, these games are more likely to be close. Now, we don't exactly have uh, the full history of this. We haven't broken it down game by game and seen the margins of victory, but as it shows with these previous four teams that at least have three such victories against divisional opponents, it's pretty much that these teams are eking out close victories against teams that are familiar to them. And then a few other close victories also came in hand. And when you look at it that way, maybe you can make an excuse for it. And obviously in the 70s and 80s when this happened, there was less scoring. It's not exactly this high-scoring league that is now where some teams are scoring 30, 40 points per game. You should be able to win by more than one possession. But obviously if the Falcons stumble against the Saints, who may go 7-9 and nine or 6-10, and 10, can you really blame them if they only win by three against Drew Brees? Do you really blame them? If they beat a Bucks team that happens to finish 7-9, and nine, that at this point right now is in the top 10 in the quality stats power rankings, not exactly. So I think the best thing here for the Falcons is that the Cowboys, with the relativity index suggesting that they might actually be a winning team when they end up facing a weaker schedule in the second half, the best bet here for the Falcons 
is that this kind of works out in this favor and this doesn't suggest that the Falcons are somehow squeaking by inferior teams and really might just be an above-average team in an 8-0 piece of clothing right now. So for the Falcons, I put them on high alert right now. I need to see a little bit more, and I need to see some of these other teams that they barely beat look a little bit better so I have more confidence for them in terms of their Super Bowl credentials. Number three on our six-pack of headlines, and that's the teams that in the second half of the season should improve record-wise due to the quality stats and their future opponents. The four teams I'm looking at, the Denver Broncos, who are 5-3 and three right now, the Seattle Seahawks, who are 5-4 and four right now, the Dallas Cowboys, who are 3-5 and five right now, and the Carolina Panthers, who are 2-6 and six right now. First things first with the Denver Broncos at 5-3. They're still 6th in the quality stats power rankings. All three of their losses have come to top 12 teams in the rankings. So when you look at it, the Broncos, you can kind of understand why they lost those three games. Now ahead for the Broncos, only one game left against a quality opponent, and that's at the Ravens late in the season. Meanwhile, four of their eight remaining games come against teams in the bottom eight of the quality stats power rankings. The lesson here, well, the Broncos should be able to cruise, especially against those four teams when you have Peyton Manning, who's right now a top five quarterback. The Broncos are right there in the top five in offensive passer rating, passer rating differential, all that good stuff. They should be able to cruise against those teams, even if they lose at Baltimore. You look at their other three games, if they can go 2-1 and one in those other three games, which you probably think right now they should, they can finish with a better record in the second half, 6-2, and two, and be 11-5 overall. As for the Seattle Seahawks, at 5-4, and four, they're still 7th in the quality stats power rankings. Think about their 0-3 divisional record. Well, all three of those games came on the road. They'll have the remaining three games at home, and given the way the Rams have played as of late, they're on a three-game losing streak. Given the way the Cardinals have played as of late, they're on a five-game losing streak. And given the 49ers still, I think, with something left to prove for Alex Smith, and a 49ers team that only beat the Seahawks 13-6 at home on a short week, I think that the Seahawks can win all three of those games. Meanwhile, you look at their three remaining row games for the season of their final seven, and it's at Miami, a team that's ranked 13th in the quality stats power rankings, but has a limited offense with a rookie quarterback, which isn't exactly a good matchup against a top five defense and pretty much all the quality stats indicators. Then a battle at Chicago, and finally a battle at Buffalo, a team that's 30th in the quality stats power rankings. I think it's possible, and this might be a stretch, that the Seahawks go 6-1 and one in their final seven games. But I'm thinking the more reasonable thing is they go 5-2 and two and finish the year 10-6. and six. Meanwhile, for the Dallas Cowboys, obviously, they, they're a team you can't trust. I'll put that pretext right here. They're a team you can't trust. Yes, they're 22nd in the quality stats power rankings, which seems very fitting for a 3-5 and five team. But they are 10th 
in the relativity index. And they do have a 1 in 5 record against quality opponents. The point being here is look at their second half schedule. There's just one game left against a quality opponent, a home game against the Steelers. Given the way the Steelers have played as of late, and we'll talk about that in a moment, I chalked that up to a loss. But given their other seven opponents, there's a good chance that they can go 5-2 and two against them, or 4-3, and three, and all of a sudden get back up to 500, or maybe even better, if they somehow find a way to be more efficient. But the bottom line is, in the Cowboys' first eight games, they played seven teams, or seven games, I should say, six teams, facing the Giants twice, that were in the top ten of the quality stats power rankings. The only team that wasn't in the top ten was the Carolina Panthers, who are 17th, and, well, they kind of faced a tough schedule of their own, and they're actually the fourth team on this list. Two and six, but 17th in the quality stats power rankings. That should show something, and it kind of really speaks to the bad situational coaching by Ron Rivera. He arguably cost the Panthers two games. Most definitely, I'd argue, at Atlanta on a fourth and one. You didn't run Cam Newton. If you get a first down and you run it with him, the game's over. Meanwhile, fourth and one at the Seattle two with the Panthers down by one in the fourth quarter, they decide to throw instead of using Cam Newton for a run. They run it, they get a first down, get a touchdown. They probably win at home against Seattle. You think about it right now, the Panthers 0-4 against quality opponents In three of those four games, they lost by a combined seven points. That includes two on the road at Atlanta, who's undefeated, and one on the road at Chicago, who's 7-1. and Pretty much when you think of it that way, there's a good chance for the Panthers to make a run in the second half, especially when they have five games left against losing teams. Is it possible they win all five of those games? Well, maybe, but at least if you go 4-1 and one against those five teams, that would, at the least, guarantee you double the wins in half two compared to half number one. So pretty much you can put this in the books. Better second half records, Denver, Seattle, Dallas, and Carolina. Put them in as a lock and seal it for the third of our six-pack of headlines. Number four in the six-pack involves the Pittsburgh Steelers and what I consider to be a season-defining victory that could vault the Steelers to a playoff run later on this season. It's a 24-20 victory at the New York Giants. It's the game of the week on CBS. It's got all the hubbub. It's two top 10 teams. Arguably, the Steelers were 11th in the quality stats power ranking, so close enough when you think about it in terms of the stats. But this is a tough spot for the Steelers. They had only one road victory coming into this game against a flopping Cincinnati Bengals team who's now 3-5, and five, and they had to go on the road to beat the Giants, who are 6-2 on a four-game winning streak, playing great football. Their offensive line is protecting Eli Manning. The Giants have allowed only six sacks on the season. They have a balanced offense with the run game and the pass game. And, oh, yeah, this is after Hurricane Sandy, a very rough week 
for my fellow New Jerseyans. It's been a trying week, an emotional week. This is a Giants team that can win for its state at MetLife Stadium in the Meadowlands. And the Steelers go on the road and they beat the Giants. And they beat the Giants in a way that made the Giants look bad and things they're normally good at. Eli Manning, 10 of 24 for 125 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. Meanwhile, the Steelers constantly got pressure on the Giants, getting two sacks, but knocking up Eli Manning a lot more than is expected from an offensive line that was allowing the fewest sacks. Meanwhile, the Steelers limit the Giants to only 182 yards of total offense. It's very impressive considering the opponent, and it continues a recent ascent for the Steelers in what is now a three-game winning streak where they played well defensively against the Bengals, Redskins with RG3, and a top five to top ten passing offense, and now the Giants. The Steelers are up to 10th in defensive real quarterback rating, up to 13th in in the defensive passer rating. That now puts the Steelers up to 6th in pass rating differential and 13th in the Relativity Index. And oh yeah, it's the first quality victory, by the way, for the Steelers. Their previous three victories against the flopping Jets, flopping Eagles, and flopping Bengals. The way I look at it right now for the Steelers, it at least puts them in the third tier in the AFC. The AFC's elite team, the Houston Texans, the next tier of teams, the Broncos and Patriots, and then right after that, the next tier of teams, the Ravens and Steelers. The way I look at it, this might be a chance here. This this type of victory on the road against the Giants, this might be the victory the Steelers can look back to if they somehow, whether they win the North or not, they somehow find their way into the final weekend of the AFC playoffs with a chance to make it to the Super Bowl. This will be the victory they look back to. Number five on this six-pack is quite obvious, and that's the Kansas City Chiefs having a historically bad first half of the season. They wrap up their first half of the season 1-7 after losing to the Chargers on Thursday night football 31-13. And it marks, well, pretty much a first in NFL history. The Chiefs did not lead for any time, any physical time, in a football game in the first eight games of the season. Yes, I know, they're 1-7. and seven. How did this happen? The only time they've held a lead was after a game-winning field goal in overtime to end the game against the New Orleans Saints. That's it. That's the list. And that is quite pathetic. Meanwhile, you look at it statistically, the Chiefs, a pass rating differential of negative 41.34, last in the league, a relativity index of negative 14.48, last in the league, a turnover margin of negative 20, not only is that last in the league, but that's the second worst mark through eight games in the 16-game era since 1978. The only team that had a worse mark was the 1989 Lions. You think about it, they lost to 18 at Buffalo, who's 30th in the quality stats power rankings. They lost two games to the Chargers by a combined 35 points. Oh yeah, and they lost at home to Oakland by 10. And the only 
quality stats where the Chiefs are outside of the bottom eight involve their hogs offensively and defensively. So the Chiefs, they're historically bad in the first half of the season. But I think there might actually be a silver lining here for the Kansas City Chiefs. Think about the Chiefs with that negative 20 turnover margin might have some regression in their favor. And I've been probably saying this for three or four weeks, and you wonder when it's finally going to happen. But the Chiefs, through eight games, outgained their opponents. Now, obviously, it's not a quality stat, yards. It's pretty much it's, it's a quantitative stat that doesn't really show efficiency. But what it does show is that the Chiefs can at least move the football when they're not busy shooting themselves in the foot. And... Well, their defense has been working a lot on the short field, so maybe if the defense works on a longer field, they might do a better job. Think about those 89 Lions. They end up finishing the year 7-9 and nine and won their final five games of the season, and they ended with a negative 16 turnover margin, which meant they had a plus-five margin in their final eight games. So it's possible the Lions were one and seven, finished the year seven and nine. I'm not saying the Chiefs will finish the year seven and nine, but there's an outside chance that they win a few games against teams that nobody's expecting them to win. I don't think it'll happen Monday night in Pittsburgh, but it may start soon after that. Number six and the last of our six pack of headlines, and that's well. Not exactly a whole lot of excitement for the second half of the season when it comes to playoff races. I pretty much have the Houston Texans as a lock in the AFC South. I pretty much have the Patriots as a lock in the AFC East. I pretty much have the Giants as a lock in the NFC East, the Falcons in the NFC South, and the Denver Broncos in the AFC West. I don't have the 49ers a lock just yet in the NFC West, though I think it's about 90 to 95%. But I think they're pretty much a lock to make the playoffs in some form in the NFC. Meanwhile, I think you have a lock between the Packers and Bears, one team winning the North in the NFC and one team getting a wild card spot, and then a lock between the Ravens and Steelers. Whoever wins the AFC North, the other team will be the wild card team. That pretty much, to me, leaves two spots open. The AFC six seed. In the NFC six seed. And right now, that might be the last hope. And given the way the AFC is outside the top five, am I really excited to see the Colts and Chargers and Dolphins fight it out for the final spot? Well, not really. I mean, to me, the silver lining is perhaps the storylines. North Turner trying to save his job. The Colts playing inspired for Chuck Pagano. And the Dolphins trying to make a run in Philbin's first year with a rookie quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. I mean, outside of those storylines, in terms of the actual on-the-field product, I'm not all that inspired. Meanwhile, for the NFC, this could get ugly quite early if there is sort of things to say when it comes to the quality stats power rankings and what I'm saying about the Seattle Seahawks making a second-half run. If that happens where the Seahawks make a second-half run, this might be over by week 15 or 16. The only hope is that 
The Buccaneers, who are 10th in the quality stats power rankings, continue their recent tear offensively. Or the winner of Sunday's game between the Lions and Vikings finds a way to make a concerted effort at 9 or 10 wins. If that happens, then we'll have an interesting race for that final spot in the NFC. If that doesn't, well, we might be out of really good quality football that determines a playoff spot in the final few weeks of the season. To me, that's not really a good sign. Let's move on now, and well, there's no six-pack for this, I guess, unless you want to talk about the seeds for each conference, and that's my playoff projections. Now, at the beginning of the season, I had the Houston Texans over the Chicago Bears in the Super Bowl. I had Texans over the Steelers in the AFC Championship game, Bears over the Packers in the NFC Championship game, and well, for the most part, it's been pretty good in terms of playoff projections outside of a, a few teams that I thought would make the playoffs and have really completely fallen on their face. And I'm looking at the Carolina Panthers and the Kansas City Chiefs. But let's look at it. Halfway through, let's get some playoff projections. First things first, in the AFC, I keep the top three teams the way I've had it from the beginning. Houston Texans, 14-2. and two. New England Patriots 12 and 4, Baltimore Ravens 11 and 5. Now for the AFC West winner, I did have the Denver Broncos as an 8 to 10 win team, but I kind of had a feeling I went with my gut here and said, okay, the Kansas City Chiefs will win the West. Well, obviously that prediction fell flat on its face. The Denver Broncos are clearly the class of the AFC West. There's no question about it. And I actually think with the way Peyton Manning's playing, he's playing better than expectations. I know there's still the, the, the factor of cold weather uh, later on in the season and Peyton Manning's record not being good in cold weather games outdoors. So while I think it's still very much viable that the Denver Broncos win the AFC West as an 8-10 to 10 win team, given the way they've played so strong, in the first half of the season, and given their weak schedule in the second half, I actually put the Denver Broncos as a four seed at 11-5. and five. Meanwhile, the five seed is pretty much as I expect. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I had them at the beginning of the season, a 10-12 to 12 win team. I have them like Baltimore going 11-5, and five, but with the tiebreaker in terms of conference record, I do project the Steelers who are already 3-0 against the NFC East, to win against the Cowboys, go 4-0 against the East. And I, well, already can put the Ravens atop the North because they lost to the Eagles earlier this season, which would give the Ravens a better conference record. So the Steelers, my five seed, I already had them as a five seed beforehand and making a run to the conference championship game. I'll stick with that. Meanwhile, for the sixth seed, back at the beginning of the season, I looked at the San Diego Chargers. I know, you can't trust the Chargers. But they had an easy schedule. They still do, but you can't trust the Chargers, and I'm not going to do it again. Instead, I'll go with another team with an easy schedule so far and throughout the rest of the season for the most part, and that's a team that can go 6-3 and three with a Thursday night victory against the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's the Indianapolis Colts with Andrew Luck. They will go from 2-14 and 
I believe, to 9-7. and seven. And this was after I said the Colts would be a 5-7 to seven win team. So they are outplaying my projections from the beginning of the season by at least two wins the way I see it. So Indianapolis, the final team there, and albeit it might be an easy home game for the Baltimore Ravens against those Colts, at least it's a good story to see Chuck Pagano's team in the playoffs, and I think that will be a great story if it indeed happen. Meanwhile, in the NFC, well, I'll say this. It wasn't exactly my best year in predicting the NFC. I had the Giants winning the North or the East, and I still see that happening. I had the Packers and Bears both making the playoffs, and I had Seattle making the playoffs as well. So, I mean, overall, I'm liking what I'm seeing, but the seeding isn't exactly maybe how I thought it would be. Four teams, at least from what I'm projecting in the second half, will fit my win range from the beginning of the season. I had Green Bay going 11-5, and Seattle 10-6. and I think those teams will keep those records and be the 5-6 and six seeds, respectively. Meanwhile, I had the 49ers be a 9-11 to win team. I'm going to stick with that. Although I think they will have some regression to be had from last year, and I think that will affect them in the second half and drop them down to 10-6, and I still think 9-11 to wins is their best bet. Meanwhile, the New York Giants, I had them going somewhere between 11 to 13 victories. I do drop them a victory, though, from my preseason prediction at 12 and 4 to 11 and 5. What that leaves is two teams outplaying my projections from the beginning of the year being the top two seeds. The Atlanta Falcons, a team I thought could be a 9 to 11 win team, I predict will go 13 and 3. And the Bears, a team I thought that would be 8-10 to 10 wins, I predict them to go 12-4. and four. So, well, let's face it. I mean, of the 12 teams I'm predicting to make the playoffs, 11 teams I thought would be right there and very much reasonable to make the playoffs, depending on how you want to break down a game-to-game prediction from the beginning of the season or look at certain factors in terms of who you think would have got injured or this or that. 11-12 teams are where I expect right now in terms of the playoff picture, but I would have liked to see the the NFC predictions do a little bit better. But I do think right now, although the Falcons, I have my doubts about, I still think that they have an easy schedule for the rest of the year. They go 13-3. and And although the Bears, I wonder about their second half because of so much turnover-frenzied play in the first half of the season that will likely if not guaranteed to regress in the second half, I still put the Bears at 12-4. and four. And as of right now, do I stick with Texans over Steelers in the AFC Championship game, Bears over Packers in the NFC Championship game, and Texans over Bears for the Super Bowl? I do stick with that, and I think that should be a very fun game to watch this Sunday, which we'll talk about. First, before we get to the six-pack of matchups to look ahead, let's recap my six-pack of top teams through the first half of the season. Number one, the Houston Texans. Not only are they first in the quality stats power rankings, but I still think that they're the most balanced team. And I, I can't tell you much uh, enough how much I enjoyed 
that play-action rollout touchdown pass to Owen Daniels against the Bills in the first quarter of Sunday's game for the Texans. I think that is one of the most beautiful plays in the NFL, and the Texans run it better than any team in the league because of their running presence, because Matt Schaub does a great job with the play-action fake, and because they have a downfield presence with their passing game. Offensively, I think that makes them a very balanced and dangerous team. Meanwhile, defensively, the Texans are still getting the job done. Really, if there's anything that you can complain about the Texans right now, it's that their special teams have done nothing this season. Really nothing to talk about about their special teams. The return game hasn't done anything, and the kicking game's been nondescript, and the coverage units have been nondescript as well. So outside of special teams, I think the Texans are bar none the most balanced and best team in the league. Number two, and only because they're still undefeated, you, you, you doubt them all you want, but they still haven't lost the Atlanta Falcons. And oh yeah, they're third in the quality stats power ranking. So I put the Falcons one spot ahead of the San Francisco 49ers, who are second in the quality stats power rankings by virtue of record. Albeit, the 49ers have faced a much tougher slate of teams. I have to give the Falcons credit for that. Number four on my list, the Chicago Bears. I so much wanted to put them at number three, but I need to see a little bit more from the offense of the Bears right now. I know you can't blame them that much. The defense and special teams are doing such a great job, but I do think the 49ers are a little bit more balanced. The 49ers, top-tier running game. Yes, regression to be had for Alex Smith, but at least right now, that regression hasn't happened completely just yet, so I put the 49ers ahead of the Bears for the time being. Number five on my list, in accordance with the quality stats power rankings, the Green Bay Packers. They've faced five game, They've played five games against quality opponents, two and three record. Uh, so the Packers, they've played a tough schedule, to say the least, uh, and, and still find themselves at a very respectable six and three record. And finally, the Denver Broncos, sixth coinciding with the quality stats power rankings and a team at 5-3 and three that faced a very tough first-half schedule. It should get a lot easier, but facing the quality teams and still having a 5-3 and three record is the reason why I put them sixth on my six-pack of top teams for the first half of the season. Well, let's wrap things up with a look ahead to Week 10. And talk about six intriguing matchups for this week. And, well, I'm not going to go with six games straight through. I'll tell you that much because, well, let's face it, not really exciting games uh, all around. But there are some intriguing matchups. First, uh, well, I want to look at Alex Smith and want to see what regression is to be had against the St. Louis Rams defensive backs. The Rams, once upon a time, had a... Top 10 pass defense, arguably a top 8 pass defense. Well, after their drubbing two weeks ago in London, losing 45-7 to to the Patriots, they're down to 14th, 19th, and 18th in the three key pass defense quality stats. That's the real passing yards per attempt defensively. That's the defensive real quarterback rating and the defensive passer rating, respectively. All of a sudden now, after that game against the Patriots, the Rams look quite average. But 
Was that the outlier to the situation? That's what I want to know. And I think this will be a very, uh, I think, important game for the progression of both units. The 49ers passing offense and the Rams passing defense. So that's a very intriguing matchup to me. I also look at the Detroit Lions at the Minnesota Vikings. While albeit not the most exciting matchups statistically, I do think it's a very important matchup. At the beginning of the season, I had the Lions and Vikings both finishing 7-9. and nine, And it was quite the difference to what the mainstream media experts predicted. They thought there was no chance for the Vikings to do anything this season. They're going to be a bottom dweller. They're going to be in the cellar and have nothing better to do. And they thought the Lions were a legitimate playoff hopeful team. Well, right now you have the 5-4 and four Vikings and the 4-4 four and four Lions. Both teams are outplaying that 7-9 and nine prediction. Now, I did think the Vikings would be a 6-8 to eight win team and the Lions would be a 7-9 to nine win team. So I have a little bit more faith in the Lions. But if you look at it, the loser of this game will likely be 7-9. and nine, And the winner of this game has a much better shot at getting that sixth seed in the NFC, especially if the Seahawks trip up continuously on the road like they've done in recent seasons. So looking at that alone, it's a reason why I think that is one of the six best matchups in Week 10. But I move forward on the list to the Seattle Seahawks in the next part of our six-pack, and that's Russell Wilson going up against the Jets' defensive backs. Russell Wilson continues to improve. And for at one point was a team that was dead last in real passing yards per attempt. The Seahawks are now up to 20th in that quality stat indicator. They're now also up to 13th in real quarterback rating and 12th in offensive pass rating. Bottom line, although the Seahawks aren't the most dangerous team in the passing game, they're getting more efficient as the season goes on. Considering the way that Marshawn Lynch is running, you want to continue the formula of running a lot and having that efficient passing, especially with Russell Wilson having a beautiful down-the-field pass. If he can find a way to roll out and get some down-the-field passes going to those receivers and they don't drop it, that's maybe been the biggest problem for the passing offense is wide receivers dropping the ball, there's a chance that Russell Wilson continues to improve. But you look at his opponent, the New York Jets, 12th in defensive rear passing yards per attempt, 8th in defensive real quarterback rating, and 5th in defensive pass rating. This will be a very tough matchup for Russell Wilson. And what is pretty much a winnable game for the Seahawks? They're home with a top 5 pass defense going up against the Jets, who are making the cross-country trip to one of the toughest places to play, if not the toughest place. And they have Mark Sanchez, who's been pretty awful this season in the passing game. And you might try Tim Tebow, but he's not exactly uh, the, the maven in terms of the passing game. He would slow the game down and make it more run-oriented, which, given the Seahawks' physicality, they might not mind that either. So this is a very winnable game for the Seahawks. And if Russell Wilson can find a way to win this matchup, this should be another victory for the Seahawks. But this will be a tough challenge for Wilson, a rookie, trying to make continuous progression 
This might be a matchup, a type of matchup he needs to win if the Seahawks want to keep moving forward and possibly make the playoffs like I think they will at 10-6. and six. Moving forward on the six-pack, I look at a quarterback matchup, and it's the most intriguing one to me. That's Matt Ryan against Drew Brees. Two of the best passing offenses right now, the Falcons, with the best one-two receiver duo right now. And you look at it, Roddy White, Julio Jones. This is a Falcons team that took a big risk. You know, the shiny hood ornament in Julio Jones. But right now, the way it's working those guys might be the difference right now if Matt Ryan is his usual above-average self or maybe elite. Maybe that was a difference he needed. Maybe it's not. I want to see what happens this week against those Saints who have the worst passer rating defensively in the league and project, or at least if they keep up what they're doing, they may finish with the worst defensive pass rating in NFL history. They're at 110.57 right now. But I did think this quite aloud to other people, and I would have said it if I had a stat pack last week. I thought the Saints were due for some regression against the Philadelphia Eagles, and they did have that interception return for a touchdown against the Eagles, and the Saints did only allow 13 points. Does that regression continue? Remember, Matt Ryan through three interceptions against the Oakland Raiders when the Raiders did not have an interception before their bye, before they went up against the Atlanta Falcons. Meanwhile, Drew Brees going up against a rather underrated pass defense for the Atlanta Falcons. Drew Brees is playing some great football right now, and the Saints most certainly will need him to play elite football This could be a statement win for Matt Ryan if they get a win at New Orleans. But I think this will be a very, very tough game for the Falcons to win just based out on this matchup alone, Matt Ryan against Drew Brees. For the fifth part of our six-pack here, intriguing matchups for Week 10, I look at, well, the Misery Bowl. The Dallas Cowboys at the Philadelphia Eagles and. To appease all the masochists out there, I I will look at the battle of inefficiency between the Cowboys and Eagles. You have two of the worst three teams in scoreability. You have two of the worst teams in turnover margin. And you have two offenses that are quite honestly capable of moving the football, but incapable of getting the job done when it matters. Look at the Dallas Cowboys in last week's loss against the Falcons, and you can probably look at a handful more of reasons why they're in the bottom three in scoreability. Twice in the first quarter, a chance to score in the red zone. Both times, they end up being field goals. Late in the first half, Cowboys up 6-3, ball at midfield, fourth and inches. Jason Garrett tries to draw an offside, can't do it, instead punts. When he probably could have just had Tony Romo sneak it for a first down and try to drive the Cowboys to a 13-3 lead at the half. I actually thought that was a turning point in the Cowboys' loss at the Falcons. I think if Jason Garrett, who is horrible at situational managing of games and a reason why I don't think he should be a head coach, if he does the right thing, which I think was to go for it, and the Cowboys convert it, there's a good chance that the Cowboys win that Sunday night football game and are 4-4 four and four instead. But obviously... Well, Jason Garrett's cost his team games before and will probably cost his team more games. So 
That for the Cowboys, obviously an issue. Meanwhile, for the Eagles, 13 points last week against the Saints, despite 400 yards plus of offense. This is a Saints team that couldn't stop anybody to begin the year. And they limit the Eagles to 13 points. This, to me, is a train wreck waiting to happen. And oh yeah, with the caveat that the loser is pretty much out of the playoff hunt, I think it's going to be some exciting football to to watch, regardless of how many head-smacking plays there are in this game in the Misery Bowl. I, I just... Even as a Cowboys fan, find it a little bit fun to watch. It's a train wreck. Enjoy it. NFC East football. What else can I say? Except for the last of the six-pack, and this is an obvious one. It's what I think will be a Super Bowl preview. Houston Texans at Chicago Bears. Texans first in the quality stats power rankings. The Chicago Bears fourth in the quality stats power rankings. The Bears Again, seven interceptions returned for a touchdown, plus 16 turnover margin. That defense is frantic, crazy, getting the job done. They're forcing fumbles. They're getting interceptions. Going up against the Houston Texans with that balanced offense and that top-tier rushing game. The offensive hog is doing a great job. Matt Schaub getting the job done. And oh yeah, on the other side, the Houston Texans at front seven. J.J. Watt doing a fantastic job. Connor Barwin, he's a dangerous player as a sack machine on the edge. This Houston Texans team trying to continue to bounce back after losing Brian Cushing. Going up against the Chicago Bears who continue to struggle with their offensive hogs. And they've allowed 27 sacks through the first eight games of the season. But they do have some balance. They did have three passing touchdowns from Jay Cutler to Brandon Marshall alone last week against the Titans. And they do have a capable running game. I think this will be the best game of the season in the regular season. Do I think it will be a, a good Super Bowl? Well, I don't know. Things may change from here to there. But I'm very excited for this game, obviously. Because at the beginning of the season, I thought this would be the Super Bowl. I still think it will be the Super Bowl. So, obviously, uh, th- this is a, the, the biggest thing I'm looking forward to in Week 10. And I hope everyone enjoys the week ahead for football. Until next time, fans, enjoy the football. And that's all for this edition of the Stat Pack.